I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're The Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Editing Podcast. So Denise, tell everyone what we're talking about this week. Why certainly Louise, yes. So this week we're going to chat about five things that you can do to give your editing and proofreading business a bit of a new year polish. So just to summarise, number one, a mindset spruce, one that involves being the editor who says it's down to me. Second is a more practical issue about reviewing the changes we can make. Third, we'll ask you to consider how you're measuring your own success and whether you're being fair to yourself. Fourth, we'll look at some organisational tips to help you track, plan and schedule. And finally, number five, we'll wrap up with some ideas for how to get creative with templates and resources that will save you time. Great stuff. So let's start with being the editor who says it's down to me. So the thing is this, editors who work in-house edit. As for the other stuff, someone else does that for them. Marketing, counting, branding, heating the building, providing a good quality office chair, all of it. That's so true. Employee editors can say, it's not my job. Independent editors can't. Most indie editors don't have assistants or in-house accountants or IT managers, marketing departments or ready-made brand strategies. If only. I know. I know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, all of those things are down to us. If we don't make them, them part of our job, we risk not being able to put food on the table, not paying our bills, breaching our legal responsibilities, working in an environment that's physically unfit for purpose. And worst of all, having no clients. Mm. And we have to buy our own chairs. But <laughs> yes. chairs aside, having no clients means we're not independent business owners. It means we're unemployed. Exactly. Yeah. And there are definitely bits of my job I'd rather not do. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And you're probably the same. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I happen to love the marketing side of things. And I know you do too, Louise. But I have friends who absolutely loathe it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and one of my editor pals gets a, a kick from using gadgets and spreadsheets that help her manage her invoicing. I find it a bit of a bore. That's <laughs> fine. We're different. However, we both must find clients and track our financials, whether we struggle with these tasks or whether we relish the challenge. And what it boils down to is that being an editor is not enough. Being an editor is the work we do. Everything else is the work we do to get the work we do and operate in a professional manner. Mm, yeah, yeah. Editing is only one part of being an editorial business owner. For our businesses to thrive, we've got to do all the parts. Yeah. We can't afford to say, but I don't like marketing or I'm not good with spreadsheets or I'm not interested in the business end of things or I don't have time to learn how to do those things because we're not employees. Yeah, exactly. We have to say it's down to me. Mm. So that's what we invite you to do, particularly if you found yourself leaning towards an employee mindset. It can feel like a big shift, but it is one we need to embrace as independent business owners. Yeah, definitely. So let's take a look at the next spruce up, making changes. Now, no one gets it perfect right from the get go. And running a business is about testing and tracking so that we can find out what works and what doesn't. Now, if things aren't going as we hoped, we need to be ready to invest in change. So if our schedules have lots of gaps in them, our marketing needs to work. And if we're not attracting the clients we want to work with, our branding needs attention. 
And if we're not earning enough to make ends meet, we need to find new clients or tweak our fee structure. And if we're attracting clients who let us down, we need to tweak our contracts and terms. And if our scheduling is muddled, our time management needs fixing. Now, all this is easy to say, but it is harder to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we both know that. Yeah. But these practical changes are the things that we need to do. So let's look at an example. Yeah. So all businesses change. For example, a publisher might outsource production to another country, squeeze more words on a page, ask freelancers to do more for the same money or freeze its project fees, all of which can have an impact on profitability for the independent editor working for that publisher. And the editor could say that the negative impact on the health of their business is the publisher's fault, that it's not fair, that it's exploitative. But blaming publishers for taking actions to make themselves profitable isn't a solution. And it will reduce the quality, some editors say. Well, maybe not. Maybe so. That's not our problem. It's theirs. They're business owners and so are we. And all of us do what we need to do to make our enterprises successful. And if we don't like the way a client's operating, we should take positive action to find a replacement. It's not the client's job to make another business owner's enterprise successful. And it can be tempting to use online spaces, Facebook groups, for example, to vent our complaints. However, <laughs> that's a waste of precious time, our precious time, time we could be using to locate our new client. Honestly, action for change trumps blame every time. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more really, yeah. So the next sprucing up tip is about measuring success. Our advice is don't measure your own success against other people's raw data. Oh, yeah, yeah. I couldn't. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes to that. Don't get us started. Instead, you need to track your own data and use it to assess the health of your editing business. Your colleagues' metrics don't matter because those relate to their businesses, not yours. Too right. And there's another problem. It's often like comparing apples and oranges. So here are a couple of examples. The data picked up by Google Analytics varies between website platforms. And that means any comparison, say, of my Weebly site with, say, Denise's WordPress site or another colleague's Wix site is pretty much meaningless. Mm. Even when you look at your own data, you'll get different figures depending on the analytics program you're using. I access analytics data using something called StatCounter. Um, I also use Google Analytics and I use um, my website, my Weebly website stats. And none of the numbers are the same. <laughs> and I don't mean a little bit not the same. I mean, sometimes a lot not the same yeah and it's not it's not that two of those programs are wrong but that all three are recording different things and in slightly different ways exactly yeah so does that mean that you shouldn't look at analytics not at all but instead of looking at just the raw numbers think about longer term patterns in the data and outcomes so for example how does this financial quarter compare with the previous one or this year with the previous one have you made changes either on your website or elsewhere that might have influenced your analytics yeah so here's a more granular example let's say your analytics program tells you that the page views on your site have risen from 500 per year two years ago to 5,000 in the current year those additional page views relate to the blog posts you've been publishing in the past 24 months that's interesting to a degree, but the more important question is whether there's a correlation between your blog-driven traffic and the number of requests to quote 
from clients who are offering you the kind of work you want to do and are prepared to pay your price. And that's because if you've increased your traffic to 5,000 in two years, um, that, that figure is irrelevant if you're still not attracting enough paying work from ideal clients. Mm, and this is so important. If an editorial business blog is generating traffic, but that traffic isn't converting into sales, assess whether your content's hitting the mark. In other words, are you solving the right problems? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So let's kind of consider another granular example. You regularly post on LinkedIn. You've built a large number of connections and get strong engagement with your posts. Your analytics data tells you that LinkedIn has driven more traffic to your site than any other social media platform in the past 12 months. But the more important question is whether you can discern a corresponding increase in work leads and sales, even indirectly, and other opportunities that drive your business forward. That's it. I mean, social media platforms are fantastic content distribution and networking platforms. They really are. Mm. But when it comes to business, we need to use them with purposeful goals in mind, don't we? Yeah. And here's one more example. Let's say you've noticed a 20% decrease in views of your contact page in the past three months. You've made some big changes to your website this quarter as part of a branding exercise and worry they've had a negative effect. The important question to ask is how that corresponds with the number of people asking for quotes and the number of confirmed bookings. And that's because visiting a contact page and getting in contact are two completely different things. Yeah. If you're still receiving the same number of requests to quote as in the previous quarter, perhaps you're appealing to a more targeted client base and are achieving a higher visit to click conversion ratio. And even if you're receiving fewer requests to quote, but more of those have turned into confirmed bookings, that's a positive outcome and one to be celebrated, not a negative one. It shows that your branding's working. Absolutely, yeah. So what we have to do is keep our attention on the end goal. Visitors, page views, shares, likes, follows, comments, connections, etc., are only a starting point. They're only just indicators of visibility and success. Yeah. To be meaningful, they need to be considered over time and evaluated within the context of and measured against your business goals. For example, request mm -hmm. a quote, confirm bookings, the quality of your clients, your income, and the length of your wait list. Yeah, otherwise they're nothing more than vanity metrics. Mm. And as for other people's raw stats, they tell you nothing about your own business's needs and goals. Please don't spend valuable time worrying about them. Absolutely. Solid advice there. Yeah. <laughs> so our fourth polishing tip is about tracking, planning and scheduling. Now, like all sole traders, independent editors have to do everything themselves unless they contract out services to, say, a VA or a marketer or an accountant, any of which will incur costs. And too often we can find ourselves being asked to carry out impossible feats of juggling, <laughs> just too many activities and not enough time to do what has to be done. So the solution could lie in improved scheduling. 
Yeah, so first of all, track how much time you spend on social media during work hours and mm. check that what you're doing is relevant to your business. Mm. Be strict with your social engagement, schedule it and stick to that plan. You'll save time and be more productive. We're not saying don't use social media for fun, but to keep an eye on whether that fun's taking place during times of the day that you're meant to be working on your business. Yes, I think that's certainly an idea where perhaps I need to pay a little bit more attention. <laughs> <laughs> it's that rabbit hole effect isn't it, it? totally yeah. totally I mean we've I, we've all done it you know yeah. I mean you know it, it's it is it's fun but yeah. you know sometimes there's lots of fun things I'd like to do at sort of like 11 o'clock on a Wednesday morning but um actually I'm meant to be editing yeah and it is a distraction isn't yeah. it yeah yeah so let's look at another example the hive mind is wonderful but there's such a thing as too many cooks in the kitchen and if you're stuck on an editing conundrum perhaps you could raise a query with your client and move on rather than spending half an hour on Facebook garnering opinion from several hundred editors <laughs> <laughs> or if a job is struggling to hold your attention, could you switch away and do something else for your, your business, such as marketing or invoicing, rather than letting off steam on Twitter? If you don't have enough work, use your time to do activities that will help you find work rather than telling 10,000 colleagues online that you're having a rough time. Sympathy is not a solution. Lovely though it is, it's not yeah, a solution. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, we're not saying that we shouldn't discuss business problems with colleagues online. We're just suggesting that it shouldn't be overshadowing the actions that need to happen to find your clients. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a second tip is to ramp up your scheduling. And we're talking here about all tasks, not just editing. So invoicing, marketing, replying to requests to quote and dealing with queries. All of these things can cause problems when they're not scheduled. Yeah. So if you have, say, seven hours a day available for work, a lot some of that time to stuff that enables you to run your business. That might mean you only have five hours a day available for editing, not seven, which means you'll need to assign a longer period of time to complete each project. Mm. So let's look at another example. Um, when Denise and I decided to set up the editing podcast, we knew the pre-launch work for the podcast would have to be squeezed into our already busy business and personal schedules. This was a new venture, one that would run on top of our existing business activities, not instead of them. Mm. And it would have been so easy for either of us to say, I don't have time. Let's do it in the next couple of weeks. I'll call you when I'm free. Yeah. And we knew this would be a disaster that it would lead to procrastination and delay. Yeah. So instead, we scheduled our planning, content creation and recording sessions months in advance. Work and family commitments intruded, of course, but changes were accommodated with immediate rescheduling. And that's how we stayed on track, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Otherwise... We wouldn't be here talking now. <laughs> We'd still be saying, you know, we should do a podcast. Together. I know, I know, we, we would, and that's that 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 that's so dangerous, you yeah, know, because that yeah. that's and that's something we stuck to, isn't it, all along? It, it really is, because we both know how easy it is for time just to run away with us. Oh, We're oh. full of good intentions and just never actually committing to getting stuff oh. done. So it's it's really paid off for us in that respect that with um, focusing on scheduling there. Oh. So our final sprucing up business tip is to create templates and information resources. Templates make life easier and help editors to work faster. They can be customised, of course, but the underlying framework is in place, meaning we can focus on tweaking the nitty gritty so that what we're creating is specific to the recipient. So what we want to ask you is, 
Do you have templates for style sheets, editorial reports, replies to requests for information, invoices? If you don't, create them or get them from somebody else if, they, if, if, if they're making those available. When we find ourselves explaining the same problem to different clients, it's time to create a resource that we can use indefinitely. Absolutely. So, for example, if you're a developmental editor, you might have written numerous reports and queries in which you describe the fundamentals of narrative point of view. Instead of repeating yourself, create a document that outlines the principles in detail. Yeah, and the, the, the initial work will take you time, no doubt about it. Mm. But once it's done, you can use it over and over. It's a, it's a one-time effort. And so you can also place that information on your website and use it as a promotional tool. So here's a wee example. Um, God, we've done loads of examples today. Haven't yeah, we have, haven't we? Yeah. Another example for you. Another example. So I'm a specialist sentence level fiction editor, and many of my clients are first-time authors who struggle to punctuate dialogue, use apostrophes correctly, and render thoughts consistently in their writing. When I'm creating the handover editorial report, I don't include long explanations about how and why I fix those problems. Instead, I alert clients to the issues in brief and then link to the relevant booklets or blog posts or articles or book chapters on my website. I've shaved hours off my report writing time and repurposed the resources for my business promotion. Mm, yeah, same for me. My worry-free writing blog series is something I refer my indie business authors to repeatedly, oh. and that saves me so much time in my business. So if you're looking for ways to make your business life run more smoothly in the next 12 months, perhaps some or all of these five tips will help you to save time, increase productivity, and take action. Take action. Yes. Ta -da! Ta -da! That's what we want. That's what we want. So that's it for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever platform you prefer. Yes, thank you so much for listening. You can help support the editing podcast through our Patreon community for as little as £3 a month and get exclusive access to live Q&As for just a few quid more. We'd absolutely love you to join our community. If you're interested, just hop over to patreon.com forward slash editing podcast. We'll include a link um, in the show notes too. So she's been Denise. And she's been Louise. Join us again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.